Hello, everyone. I want to welcome you to Fox Church this evening. Maybe you come here every week, or maybe this is the very first time. Uh, whatever your story is, your background is, your perspective is, today we're really glad that you came and um, have chosen here and uh, to understand more who God is and who we are in light of that. So my name is Minnie. I'm one of the pastors at Fox Church. Uh, we are at the last sermon on a series called From Nomads to Neighbors. Today we're going to look at the calling of Matthew. It is great to be able for us to understand what does the timeless truth of God's word has to say about a transformed heart. So as you can see, this is a painting titled The Calling of Matthew by Caravaggio. Uh, he's an Italian master um, back in the Renaissance period. Uh, I'm going to do a Lectio Divina to read the scriptures slowly and contemplatively. So uh, this is the scripture actually inspired Caravaggio to paint this painting. So please try to listen with your heart and pay attention to any words that are um, catching your attention. See if there are any sensations and associations come to you in your body, heart, and mind. Then turn your attention to the painting that associates with the passage. So this is Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 to 12. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So back to the painting. The painting by Caravaggio's. This is actually his meditation on the story of a man called Matthew sitting in his tax booth while Jesus passed by. Matthew left everything behind and stood up and followed Jesus. Simple and direct. This is a very simple story. The painting of Caravaggio's first commissioned painting is this one. Now the painting occupies the entire wall in a church in Rome. So next time, if you have time uh, to see a Caravaggio's original painting, think about it. How great is that, right? The painting is divided into two halves. The left half is a group of five men seated at a tax table. On the right are two other men. One of them is Jesus. They're entering the darkened room. There is a powerful beam of light that illuminates the faces at the table. The dramatic use of light and dark is Caravaggio's signature technique. The beam light represents God's presence 
in the dark. The darkness of the room could symbolize the internal darkness of Matthew's heart and the illumination of the faces of the people around the text table is a moment of transformation. It shows that Matthew has just heard Jesus calling and inviting him to follow. He seems to be aware of this transformation. He begins to realize that his self-worth really comes from a life lived in dependence of God. So who is Matthew, by the way? You must know it. Matthew is also called Levi in the Gospel of Luke and Mark. And he was a tax collector. The reputation of a tax collector by that time was so bad that they were highly despised and equated with sinners. It is because the land of Israel was occupied by Rome and this tax collector is collecting the tax that went to Rome. So the tax collectors were considered the worst sinners by most of the population, especially for the Pharisees. So the Pharisees didn't like it, didn't like them. And when they, when they saw Jesus ate with them, drank with them, with the tax collectors, they were so shocked and surprised. Despite the fact that the people hated the tax collectors, but Jesus saw something in Matthew. Jesus told him to follow me and made him one of his apostles. So not only did Jesus turn Matthew from a, collector, a tax collector to an apostle, he also gave him a very important role, that is to write the Gospel of Matthew. As he was an accurate record keeper and a keen observer of people, so he captured the smallest details, and this character served him so well that he wrote the Gospel of Matthew. He displayed one of the most radically changed lives in the Bible in response to an invitation by Jesus. He did not hesitate. He did not look back. He just stood up and followed Jesus, as simple as that. He left behind a life of wealth for poverty and even uncertainties. The calling of Matthew helped us to see that Jesus come to us in everyday life. Jesus come to us in the midst of ordinary daily life. Matthew is able to turn from a despised tax collector into a beloved apostle. He's able to provide love and hope for a new life. Therefore, we shouldn't prejudge people. We shouldn't stereotype people. No one's ever too wicked to become a disciple of Jesus. Jesus sees us. Jesus sees people. There's something special on every one of us, right? We don't judge people. We don't even judge ourselves, right? Jesus sees people not only what they are, but what they will become. So let's take a look. The next slide, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 
anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Now, no Christian is perfect, but the transformation process is ongoing. We keep trying and learning from Jesus and to be like Jesus Christ. The painting depicts the first part of the Bible verses, but the second part of this passage talks about the parties at Matthew's house. So Matthew drew a fist in honor of Jesus. Of course, he would invite many of his friends, most of them are tax collectors, and you can call them sinners, come to mingle with Jesus and his disciples. The Pharisees were not happy about it. They wondered why Jesus would eat with sinners. Now the self-righteous people were trying to prejudge others. Jesus asked to love your neighbor as yourself. But who is your neighbor? Who do you define neighbors, right? Are sinners your neighbors as well? How do you define sinners then? Aren't we all sinned? Jesus said, for the next slide, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Are we being judgmental? Sometimes we are not only prejudge others, but also ourselves. We might sometimes feel, oh, I'm very unqualified to do certain things because of your education, because of your occupation, or maybe because of your past. However, Jesus looks for sincere commitment. We should also remember that the highest calling in life is to serve God, no matter what the world says. So money, fame, and power cannot compare with being a follower of Christ. Tomorrow is the federal election day. Have you voted yet in advance polls? <laughs> Different political parties will have their own strategic planning for each electoral district. They will analyze the demographic information so that they have a very clear and a better strategy to uh, do their election campaign. When it comes to election, instead of building connection with your neighbors, it is actually building walls between each other. They are putting signs in their lots to support their political parties. They seem like setting boundaries. We might see the campaign tactics and their strategy to attack other political parties. Like all the parties seem to be doing the best to provoke public fears about their opponents, talking about, let's say, hard drugs, abortion, and third party attacks act, etc., etc. Are we living in a polarized world? How often do you prejudge and accuse each other? Do you allow your brain to make a snapped judgment based on immediately appearances like gender, race, or age? Are we living in a culture like that? I'm thinking, can things be less complicated? Prejudice is evident from all around the world with grown-ups, but not necessarily with babies. 
Last week, I brought my daughter Michaela to a library in our neighborhood. So uh, she was surrounded by a bunch of babies and toddlers. They gave big hugs to each other. They're playing and singing, and they're sharing toys and books with each other. And they, they were children with different ethnic backgrounds. They have slightly different ages. Uh, some babies are unable to sit or walk. Some, ba some babies can. And most of them barely speak, but they can communicate so well. Babies need no help to make friends. They were playing together regardless of their differences in language, age, height, and ethnic backgrounds. One kid gave a super big hug to Michaela and held her for a while. He didn't even want to let her go. He wanted to hug her forever. How cute is that? Baby show no preferences for faces for their own races as compared to another race or recognize all faces equally well. But studies show that a proper awareness of social stereotypes may develop around six years of age. But before that, they're okay. <laughs> so babies have no boundaries, no barriers. So building barriers could be a learned behavior. We make categorizations based on our differences the attitude that we don't have when we're still babies or toddlers. Jesus called us to learn from children. That's the next slide. Unless we change and become like little children, we will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Children offer love and acceptance to everyone. In order to transform our hearts, we have to learn from children's. We have to learn from babies, toddlers. Our heart could be transformed if we like, think like children, if we think like a child. At Matthew's party, the Pharisees saw the differences between the tax collectors and themselves. They have no idea why someone who is likely to be motivated by greed would turn into a gracious host. It is not surprising that Matthew wanted all his friends and fellow sinners to meet Jesus, the one who set him free from hopelessness. Jesus and his disciples were pleased to eat and drink with, with Matthew and his friends. It was such great news to celebrate the transformed heart. The Pharisees didn't like it. And today, many Christians who are devoted to the appearance of righteousness probably won't like it either. However, we are called to share the good news with those who need it most. We are happy to share the hope of the gospel and the forgiveness of sins to others. Jesus calls sinners to follow him because he loved them. This is how God shows his love for us. Remember, while we are sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus said to the Pharisees that he is not coming to God righteous, but sinners. So you think that you did all the self-righteous things, right? You go to church every week, you pray, you served, you study the Bibles, 
and you help out others. All the righteous things. You are a good person in every aspect. But Jesus not only welcomes the righteous people, but also sinners. He eats with them with a feast, a celebration. Think about it. That represents love, reconciliation, forgiveness, and also redemption. No one is perfect. But God will forgive our sins. The next slide, Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boost. When you think that you can do all the good deeds to be saved, however, you are saved only because of the grace and mercy that God poured on you. You think you have done all the self-righteous things, all the perfect things, and will the, your relationship between, between you and God be closer? The Bible tells us that every single one of us has sinned and has followed, fallen short of the glory of God, and that is no one who is now truly righteous before God the Father. As a result, no one can earn their way to heaven. No matter how many good works they may try to do for the Lord, no matter how holy and pleasing that may try to make themselves in His sight. The gift of eternal salvation is a direct, free gift from God. It is a direct and free gift being given to all of us by our Father, and it is simply received by grace through our personal faith in Jesus. We are not saved by any of these good works. This is the beauty and the simplicity of the gospel, that God loved us so much that He gives His only Son to the world so that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus has already done all the work for us. All we have to do is to believe in Him, repent, and then we're born again. When we realize our sins and come to the Lord, we are alive again. Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And for the next slide, in Matthew 21, verse 31, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Our hearts need to be transformed. We have to welcome others like God welcomes us. So I remember that we had an art exhibition a few years ago with um, LGBTQ community. So some Christian friends think that we shouldn't host the show. They said it was outrageous. You, as a Christian, should not support or promote any of this LGBTQ community show. 
One of the artists who was being bullied in the church for being gay when he was young, and he was being rejected from the church. We don't want to see the bullying again. Okay, what we can do is to lead by example and be absolutely compassionate and loving to everyone. The great commandment said, love your neighbor as yourself. We likely won't be able to change the minds of those who fundamentally reject the LGBTQ community. So we insisted to do the art show. And at the end, the beautiful thing is that when the artist exhibited his artworks, there are theological reflection in his works. Through art, he tells people that how he got rejected by the church and how the rejection impacted his life. At the same time, he inspired us to have a moment of the reflection. It is our way to saying that, yes, you are the children of God. Yes, we welcome you no matter what. We are in the world, but not of the world. We are in the world, but not of the world. God placed us in the world to help others. God placed us in the world so that we can have a positive impact on those who don't know God yet. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We should let people know that the love of merciful God and to know the tenderness of God who accepts sinners. I'm not saying that you can be immoral and do all the bad things, no. But all our wicked deeds are same to God. But God, the creator, the forgiver, the judge, the provider, desire you to have a heart transformation, desire you to have a transformed heart. This desire, regardless of your background or your works, he desires to reach your heart and to change your heart. We are like Matthew. Jesus will give us the revelation moment and leave us to follow him. We are being transformed in ordinary activities. So don't prejudge others or races sexual orientations, occupations, generations are welcome at the Christ table. Jesus died to save sinners. As a church, we are willing to accept imperfect ones because no one is perfect. We all sin. We have to learn from children. We must learn and try to embrace everyone into the family of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us the moment to visualize your word, your message. Thank you for your forgiveness and merciful heart. Thank you for letting us recognize our sins and direct us to repent and come to you. May the lost could be found. May you transform our hearts to guide us according to your will. I pray that your spirit would fill us with sincere kindness and sacrificial love. Please help us to be patient with others, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to follow you on a path of righteous living so that we live together in love and trust. Please bring unity and harmony to our neighborhood. 
May you motivate us to work with others to solve life's problem and teach us to serve one another and to be taking care of one another. Amen. Thank you. <laughs>